loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Heidi Connolly. When her husband, Randy, transitioned in 2012, Heidi's life took a dramatic dramatic turn. All the usual challenges, how to live without a beloved spouse, to go about daily life when suddenly you're one, not a partnership of two, and all the rest were huge. But the emergent, deep-seated truth was much more revelatory. Owner of Harvard Girl Word Services, for over 20 years, Heidi focused on the work of others and was lauded for, quote-unquote, channeling the messages of her authors. Now she understands just how valid that descriptor was. In her award-winning book, Crossing the Rubicon, Written with her husband after his passing, Randy informed Heidi that the grieving process can act like a filter to block out spiritual messages. Upon learning this truth, she realized she's capable of much more than she'd ever given herself credit for, including her ability to communicate with the other side. Shortly after Crossing the Rubicon was published, Randy encouraged Heidi to play the flute again after a 25-year hiatus from her classical music career. Shocked but willing, she soon began channeling what Randy called inspirationally guided flute flute music. Currently, her multidimensional compass is set to a practice of intuitive coaching, music, and living life as a vacationing angel. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm so happy to be here talking to you. Happy to have you. So let's just start at the at the kind of um, beginning point of this part of your story uh, with your husband's death. Could you talk some about how that was for you at first, and and then how what we referred to in your in your bio, uh, how that all came about. Yes, I was not one of those people who presented a strong face to the outer world. Um, We knew he was dying. We'd been told he had a very short window of life, but it was not something that we accepted, and it was not something I could face. Um, I believed on a really deep level that without my relationship with him, there was no point to life. Mm. And I can't even now really explain fully how I came to that uh, perspective. I think it's a combination of psychological trauma. It's a combination of never having enough belief in myself that I could face the world on my own, even though I'd done that for many, many years before we'd even met. That's, that's the ironic part, isn't it? It because is. You, because, because you had lived a life before him, as yes. I'm assuming. Yes. Uh, but you had this idea you could not live a life after him. That's very true. And I actually 
believe it's like being a functioning uh, drug addict or alcoholic in many ways that when you're such a high sensitive being as I have always been, we manage. I had careers, I had a family, I had children, I had jobs, and I was very high functioning. But underlying that was this belief that the world was a really difficult place. And it always had been for me. The world was just to get through it every day was really difficult. And meeting Randy, I felt like I'd come home and that he would always be there for me in that way. So I didn't handle his illness well. I mean, I took care of him and I did everything I needed to do. But emotionally, I was pretty much a wreck. Mm. And when he died, that just continued. I, I didn't believe that I could stand on my own two feet or really it was just, I kept saying out loud, what's the point? Because he was the only one I'd ever met who I felt was home to me that I'd finally, no matter where I lived, there would be Randy. And he was the center of that universe that made it okay for me to exist. And I know there are a lot of people who can't relate to that. Um, but I believe there are probably people who can. Um, well, I wonder. I wonder in particular. Um, I'll, I'll relate it to my own experience. Uh, I'd been in many relationships before my wife, who died, but that was the kind of relationship I had always thought relating ought to be. Uh, I finally had it. And so I guess there was some sense for me, well, I'll never have that again. And that was kind of what I had always wanted. And so it felt very empty uh, to lose it after having had it. I wonder if that could be a part of it for you. It's a big part of it because you believe that, and this is part of what the book he, he wrote with me was about, this idea that this was the love of your life. The miracle is that you found him and you found each other. So what does that mean when he dies? Does mm. that mean he wasn't the love of your, of your life, that you got it wrong? Mm. Does, does that mean that something's wrong with you, that, that you let him go? Does that mean that there's something you hadn't seen? It, it brings up so many questions uh, about... Uh, who you who you really were in relationship to this other human being, and I questioned everything. I, I questioned who I was. I questioned who he was. I questioned whether our relationship had been what I thought it was. There were just so many aspects to it, and I I didn't know how to continue with that void, and he was the one from the other side, who kept pushing me to continue. I mean, he made it really, really clear um, that over about a year and a half, it took about a year and a half, but he was sending That's important to too, isn't it, Heidi? That it took, that that wasn't immediate, that you had to go through the loss. You, ha- you had to experience the loss before you could kind of experience a changed form, would that be fair to say? It is really fair to say. I, I believe that 
And again, what he taught me through the book was that grieving really has two aspects to it overall. One is that grief opens you up. So some people hear from their spouse immediately. I've talked to so many people who have written books and who have had this experience where the loss of a loved one opens them up immediately and they start hearing from that person. But a grief also acts as a filter, like a wet blanket that overlays everything else so that even though you might be able to hear you, you can't you can't listen because the grief is just too heavy. It, it weighs you down as if you're at the bottom of the ocean, weighed down by cement blocks. So it took a year and a half before his messages came through to me, and and that came through in one in one fell swoop. It was in the middle of the night. You know, There's a little piece of writing uh, that you might be able to share that that kind of captures that, doesn't it? Uh, yes, yes, it was, um, that's how it happened. So, so in the book, I write this. In December 2013, about a year or so after Randy's death, I prayed to hear from him directly in a way that would be distinct and irrefutable. That night, I was awakened at 3 a.m. and told in no uncertain terms and loudly to get out my pen and notebook and start writing. What flowed from my stubby pencil, all I could lay my hands on in the middle of the night, was a number of poems. It wasn't until days later when I went back to read what I'd written that I realized the verses were a lot more than some scribbled words on a page. And And I know know you just... I know you describe that book as having been co-written with with your husband after his death, and so I was I was very curious. Um, I, I think I know the answer to this, but I want to hear your answer. How you differentiated your voice? How you knew one was him and one was you? Because there are two voices in the book, of course. That's a great question because since I've been doing more and more of this work and I started to actually feel confident enough to call myself a medium, it, it's all about the differentiation. Uh, um, and let me just say that we, I believe we're all one energetically, so there really is no differentiation from source. On the other hand, as unique human individuals, uh, and in, it, in that individuated space of being human, there are ways to recognize when some, something comes from the human side of you and when information comes from another place. And that night, after praying and, and being in anguish and desolate, and I mean, I spent a year and a half just crying and being so angry that he had died and left me and that I didn't hear from him. And I knew other people were hearing from him, but I never had that ability myself and did not believe I had that ability. Um, I literally sat up in bed and heard, get up, get up, get your pen, write in a notebook. We're going to write a book. I, I, I heard that. It was almost, and I looked to see if my, I was staying at a friend's house in Canada, and I 
I really believed she'd come in the room and was, it was yelling at me. And I was in a place of shock and awe, but because I was in that place, I just wrote. And when I read afterwards what I'd written, it was really clear that it had only come from me in, in, in partially, because I never wrote poetry. I, I never wrote poetry. I've been a writer, an editor, you know, a book designer, this whole thing, self-publishing consultant I've written, but I had never written a word of poetry. Randy was the one who wrote in verse. Mm-hmm. He sent me, you know, poems every, every anniversary and birthday, he wrote beautiful little poems. And the words rhymed in a way I could never have made them rhyme, plus what he told me afterwards and what's in the book is that it was meant to be, through this poetry, a conversation that we never got to have as he was dying. So he died on the floor in our house, pushing me away. He literally physically pushed me away from him, and I was bereft about it. And I didn't understand it. And through this conversation of the book, he was letting me know that he had done that in order, because he believed on, I, I might follow him, that I was willing to take my own life, and that he didn't want that to happen, that I had a job to do here, and that he could help me process my grief in a whole different way. And and mm. and it did that. It and then I started hearing from other spirits. And when But that just to linger happen, ling- to linger there a little bit, Heidi, that's so interesting, you know, because I, I do work with couples quite a bit. Um there the the misinterpretation that you had there that he was pushing you away, rejecting you, when mm-hmm. he was in fact trying to protect you. And I believe that the more I do, I, I do something called the, the afterlife meetup group uh, once a month, and people have so much loss and so much grief, and one of their biggest fears, as mine was, was that we didn't do enough, we didn't do it well enough, we didn't act the way we should have, said what we needed to say, um, that we misunderstood the death, the process, that there was anger, unre- unresolved things to, to focus on, that we didn't handle things right. And in this case, I felt all those things. And to learn from him directly afterwards that that was not the case. He was reassuring me. I pushed you away because I really felt that you could go with me, that that's how connected we were, that you could take, not only go with me in the moment, because we'd actually talked about that, Mm -hmm. but that I would do something afterwards to leave the planet. And, uh, and, And again, I... I'm not proud of saying these things in the sense of I, I don't say them to have this impact of poor me. That's not the case at all. It's That's just, just where you that. were. It's That's where how I, I hear. was. That's where you were. And, of course, that is not an uncommon place to be, uh, especially, 
I'm going to say especially when, um, as you describe it, you were both averse to the idea that he would actually die. Uh, I, I feel as if I was in that place at first, but I had, of course, 10 years with my wife ill. And so by the time she died, we we knew it and we had thoroughly talked it through, I guess, uh, or felt it through. And I think that made it different for me. I didn't feel that way by the time that she did die, but I had felt that way earlier. That's very familiar to me. So uh, So my question, uh, because... We both had been told that he was going to die. You know, he was in hospice. We both knew, but there was this belief that miracles can happen, and that he didn't. He was not doing uh, Western medicine at all uh, anymore, and he was weakening. But for some reason, that idea that we were holding on to this idea of a miraculous healing. I hear you. He was trying all kinds of bizarre alternatives. So when do you go to that place of it's okay to accept an imminent passing? And how did that happen for you? When did that moment come of acceptance? Yeah, well, that's, I guess I would say more. um, We talked about it a lot, but we we kind of made a deal. And we'll probably talk about this more after the break, which is coming right along. But we kind of made a deal that I didn't have to accept it until it happened. But I did have Ah. to be realistic that it would happen. You know, it was a matter of realism, not acceptance. But then when she did, in fact, die... I felt an acceptance I didn't expect. So it That's was more like thing. that. Um, and I do think it's because we had hashed it out a lot. <laughs> you know, we didn't have yeah. the fantasy that she would she would have a miracle. In fact, we were surprised. She way outlived her diagnosis or her prognosis. Yes. So yes. let's Which talk more about that because I well. think that's really how you both maintain uh, the possibilities, right? Because they're, they are possible while also accepting the likely outcome. I think that's a really interesting subject. So let's come back to that mm-hmm. after the break. And, and listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. I also have a link for my novel, An Ocean Between Them, which is um, very much about the subjects I, I take up on this show. So you might be interested in checking that out. And to find Heidi Connolly, go to harvardgirlgoesrogue.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show. 
every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Heidi Connolly about. Her relationship with her husband, Randy, since his death and uh, the directions that that has led led her into in her life, including um, creating healing music and writing a book of poetry with her husband and um, doing grief work. And before the break, Heidi, we were we were kind of talking about um, the acceptance of the fact of death. Uh, that that is a very likely possibility, while not how you do that, while also leaving room for, of course, sometimes that doesn't happen. Uh, and I was I was thinking about the uh, the the original prognosis my wife had, which was six months to a year, which turned out to be almost a decade. Uh, and so there was this perpetual thing of the thing we had been ta- told to experience didn't happen over and over again. But somehow in that long process, we did accept that she in all probability would die of her illness at some point. We just didn't know when. So uh, I wonder how that 
how that process of coming to terms with that went for you. I got the impression it didn't happen while he was alive. Are you there, Heidi? Yes. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. I couldn't there for a, a moment. Uh, okay. Am I right that that process didn't happen while he was alive? That- it did not happen while he was alive. It, it absolutely did not. Uh, he was sick for a long time as well. We found out that he had hepatitis C from uh, a blood transfusion he'd actually gotten in the Air Force when he was only about 20. And when we met and we had just gotten married, we found out that he had hep C. And that was, it was really in the days where people didn't know a lot about that illness. So he was okay. He was sort of okay, but he was tired a lot. And then just over time, things got harder and harder. And then the diagnosis of cirrhosis and cancer appeared. And he was told he had six months and he lived a year and a half. Um, But one of the, I talk in the book also about the fact that his death was a great gift to me. And coming to that realization, it was absolutely not part of the conversation when he was alive. We did talk about what would happen if he died, and we did have many conversations about um, how he'd want me to be happy. and was, So there was a general, but, but there was still denial, right? There was still denial. Well, that's if and when, but I can't accept that that could ever happen. Right. Um, also, very so, theoretical, yes? Absolutely. Hanging on to the theoretical allowed me to stay in the denial. And so after we wrote this book, after he died that night, and he clarified a lot for me why I hadn't been able to hear him because I was grieving and how you can build a new relationship with the spirit world once you let go of that and, and how that was part of what was going to happen to me, that I could develop a new way of relating to him since he'd passed. Um, it was about a year later that it happened again. I was asked to contribute a chapter in a book to, to, to win a contest to be a part of a James Van Prague book called When Heaven Touches Earth. And I had six weeks to write a chapter to submit. And what I said to my team and to really to the universe was, if you want me to write this chapter, I'm happy to do it, but I'm not going to push it to make it happen. I had learned a lot about what I call push energy, that the more you push, the more resistance you cause. So I just said, if this is supposed to happen, let it happen. Well, make it, it be was easy, two days huh? before. <laughs> Excuse me? Make, let it be easy. Let it flow. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I had never really done that before. I mean, how many, you know, we've had careers, we have deadlines, we have things that we need to do. So I never just sat back when I had a deadline for writing and just had not written. But no matter what I tried, nothing was coming out on the page. So basically it was a Wednesday night and the chapter was due on Friday morning at 9 a.m., And I went to bed and I just said, okay, guys, here's the situation. If you want me to write this chapter, then you got to give me something because I have nothing. (laughs) And that morning, 6 a.m., 
I wake up and this booming voice says to me, go, you know, here's the last line of your chapter. And the last line was, there is life after death on both sides of the veil. And I went to my computer and I wrote the chapter backwards from, you know, the last line to the top and then submitted it and it's now in that book. But the whole idea of that, speaking to your question a few moments ago, is that there is life on both sides of the veil that I learned to have a whole new way of living because of his death that on every level... When someone dies, we have a choice to stay consciously. We've made a choice to stay consciously and unconsciously to to live and and to prosper. And it took me so long to to, um, process through that bereavement. But once I did, I had become a new person. I, there's I there's was, another little part of your book that refers to this, doesn't it? Uh, maybe you can share that. Uh, you'd become a new person, but this little piece of your book kind of speaks to the process of it, doesn't it? Yes, yes. I think you're referring to... Um, the, it starts, we've well, all heard he'd want you to be happy, which... Yes, <laughs> yes. Is, uh, <laughs> if, if we could just not exactly. say that to people, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. I I hated hearing that. Someone even suggested after he died, we'll get a dog. I just wanted to punch them, right? I wanted to say, you clearly don't understand. Anyway, so we we have all heard that. He'd want you to be happy. She'd want you to move on. But when you've lost someone, let's face it, it's not that easy to let go, at least not until you're 100% clear about two things. And even though it only gets easier, first, your loved one still exists, even if it's on another plane and in another form. Only when you accept this truth are you free to move into a new kind of relationship with him or her as a spirit being by letting go of the relationship as it existed between you in human terms. Next, continuing to love your partner as he or she was in human form is the stumbling block to allowing a new kind of relationship to flourish. I feel as if there's something very important in this to me because sometimes the fact that we can, you and I both have developed a different relationship to the people who died, uh, and it's not only possible, it's it's. It's um, beautiful. However, there is a loss. Um, There are still moments where I just uh, certainly miss her being physically in the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. That is something, right? (laughs) And and the two can't. One doesn't doesn't um, negate the other. I guess. Would you agree with that? That you probably would did need to feel agree. the loss of him uh, on this human, on this planet, I'm sure. But th- uh, there yeah. was also this other possibility, yes? And when I realized that there was another possibility, first of all, 
one of the really cool things about the spirit world is that they still maintain personality. So Randy had a really strong personality, and he could say off-the-wall things. Uh, he's, I taught him Yiddish words, and so through other people, when he wanted to make a point, he would tell them to tell me a Yiddish word that they couldn't even spell, that they had never heard before, so that I would know that he was around. And his personality, he'd say things like, um, ring, ring, it's the clue phone, when I was being daft about something. And people would say these things to me, and that was my way of being able to recognize that I was hearing from him. So when I do uh, a workshop or a meetup, I get information that doesn't make any sense to me necessarily, but it will be clear that the message is coming from someone's loved one because of uh, the personality trait, an identifier, if you will. And I've in heard that, that way, from other from other mediums that I've had on the show that yeah. that they will typically be given some kind of um, something to say which doesn't make any sense to them, but then it makes a lot of sense to someone there. Uh, someone, exactly. You know, so that's and what do you do with that? I mean, if you, if you don't get validation and you don't speak up, then you just go around not trusting the information you're getting. So that was sort of how the process worked for me. When I first, I heard from Randy, we wrote the book, I started putting it together. I mean, being that was my business, it was, it was easy enough for me to start putting together the book. But he started telling me, to illustrate the book, you're crazy, I don't, I don't do that, he made me do it, well, he made me do it, he, he insisted, and I agreed, uh, and then he started, more spirits started to talk to me, and, and I fought it because I did not believe it was possible, but I'd get a name, and then I'd meet that person whose father had that name. And it could happen in a hot tub. It happened in, in my mother's friend whose husband had passed. It just, and I felt that in my mind and in my heart, I had made what I call a contract with the spirit world and with Randy to trust the information I was getting and to speak up. And, and I want to make when, a leap here because I know that because uh, I want to have people hear a little of your music before the break. And I know that you had given up playing music and that this is one of the messages you got, that, which must have shocked you a lot. Uh, play and don't look at I know you're a classical uh, flutist, flautist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Don't yes. look at music. Just play that. I've I've tried to become more free in my piano playing, and that is hard. Um, I really a did want to talk then, to you about that. Uh, yeah. Can we play a little clip for people, just a just a little piece, and then we'll describe and probably go into the next segment too. Describe what it is you're doing here. Uh, mm-hmm. This is called uh, striking it rich. Yes.
So as I understand it, uh, Randy started insisting that you go back to flute, but to just play what he told you to play. Uh, does that capture it? And for specific it, it, purposes. Yes, it does pretty much. I have a friend, a very close friend, who started telling me that I should start playing the flute again. And I had had severe t- uh, TMJ, and that's why I stopped playing after a decade in New York City after college. And so um, I kept saying I'll never play again, and I can't. I can't. But then I started hearing from Randy that that's what I should do to buy a buy a new professional flute, and they're quite expensive, so I argued. But finally, I capitulated, and I bought a flute, and I started playing again, but it was shortly after that that, and I was full of self-judgment around it because I would never play the way I played, and I wouldn't be any good, and, but I didn't have pain, which was a shock, and he kept saying, I want you to just play what I tell you to play. And I didn't know how to play improvisationally. I'd never done that. So they started me with one note. And so, like when Striking It Rich, that music you just played came, it's for a friend of mine, actually my partner, Dennis. And I wanted it to be a general recording. Uh, And they basically said to me, today we want you to make a recording for Dennis. And I agreed to it. And um, I, I went to play it, and of course I didn't know what to do. They give me a note to start on, and they guide me through. They give me the name of the music, they give me a purpose for the music, which I state on the recording, and then they have me play the music. And that's what started to happen. And so Randy would say to me, don't worry if you crack a note, which cracking a note for a a flutist or any, you know, I, I mean, uh-huh. it's appalling, right? You, you uh-huh. might as well give it up. So you had to and really let go. I want to talk more about this. Re- we have to take a break. So hold that thought because that letting go as I, I'm, a, I'm a musician um, as yeah, another exactly. as sidelight. And I know that can be really tough, so I want to hear more about that. And listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringrief.com. You can go to the Good Grief host page. Again, you can find links to everything there, including my novel. And to find Heidi Connolly, go to harvardgirlgoesrogue.com. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Heidi Connolly, and we've been talking about the, the work that her husband uh, moved her towards after his death and um, moved her out of her initial period of feeling as if maybe life wasn't going to be worthwhile. I certainly don't get the sense you're in that place anymore, Heidi. I'm not. I can't, people who know me really can't believe the, the transformation that's occurred. And every time I paid attention to what Randy and others now I know on my spirit team have been sharing with me, my life takes a, a turn for the better. And that's, so- that's and, a lot what happens. That's why I do the music, and that's why I do the coaching. That's why I've, I've dedicated my life to it. Before the break, too, we were talking about how hard I imagine it would be uh, to let loose musically, even though there's a sense of you being given the notes. Still, when you're very used to doing something a particular way, and and not to mention you had truly given it up. I mean, I, I've sold a, uh, an instrument. Uh, I used to play cello. I sold my cello. Mm. Thoroughly con- convinced and confirmed that I would never play it again. Uh, yeah. And so I'm assuming that because you actually sold your flute, you didn't just stop playing it. You were pretty confirmed in that belief as well. Is that fair to say? I was. Totally. And then... And I, then, I did not own a flute at all for all those years. 
So that's quite so a transition. Happened- I want to hear a little more about that. <laughs> yes. So I started getting flutes from New York City. You know, you can get them on trial, which was a really big deal. And um, I went through a process. I was uncomfortable with the flutes. I didn't know what we... Anyway, I ended up buying a flute. And, um, but I kept hearing, just, just play what we're asking you to play. And crack a note. If you crack a note, it's because we want you to crack the note. If it, oh, if it overblows and there's a harmonic there, we want it to be a harmonic. Just play what we want you to play because it will have the vibration that it needs to have to, to be directed to the cellular patterning of the human it is for. So, and I think you'll find this really fascinating. There's a, a guy named Dr. Anthony Holland, who's the director of musical music technology at Skidmore. And uh, he does work on, on music uh, being destructive to cancer. And so resonant frequencies shatter the cancer as an effect of electromagnetic pulses on targeted cells. And when I heard his TED Talk... I realized that that's exactly what's going on with my music. For some reason, when we're guided and, and, and we play with certain frequencies, the vibrato itself of the note, the pulse of the note, and the pulse of the combination of notes somehow embeds certain frequencies that are targeted to bypass resistance in the human body. And the music, as you know, from playing music and hearing music our whole lives, music is one of the only things that can bypass resistance for multitudes of people on many, on all levels of being. Absolutely. It just gets to us. It speaks to us. And so this music that I'm guided to play, I will never let go of my classical training. That's how I learned to play the flute with a a, a certain tone and technique, but I I needed to let go of that to make it sound quote-unquote beautiful uh, and just go with the knowledge that the frequency was what I was after so that we would be targeting behavior of the cells that are ingrained in us, the behaviors and the patterns and the belief systems that as humans we retain. Because what we resist persists in the body, in the mind, and in the spirit. So the music gets to bypass that. I, I have recordings for smoking cessation, for things like fibromyalgia, for things like uh, alcohol addiction, for energy clearing, uh, many, many, many different recordings that people have asked me to do that somehow help them to meet those those places of resistance, bypass them in a natural way that does not feel confrontational and that does not feel stressful. I actually had one woman who was listening to the smoking cessation recording on her way to work. And when I asked her how it was going, she said it was going great, that she actually it was down to about one cigarette a day from two packs a day after just a month. And I said... She said, so I stopped listening. And I said, why would you stop listening? And she said, because I wanted to smoke again. 
What an honest right? woman. No, isn't that crazy? <laughs> No, I, I, I think that that does happen with addiction, doesn't it? Yeah, it uh, does. Ignore the thing that's helping because you don't want to stop. <laughs> exactly. So and, and it so is that the power is that, of the music. Is the is the music woven into the coaching that you do? Do they what do they go together, or are they two different mm. lines? Well. They're, they're, what often happens is that people will come for coaching. They'll want to hear from their loved ones who have transitioned, and they'll also, they really want help with how to live their, their lives, most often as high sensitives who are mired in, in deep depression, anxiety, allergic responses, all the things that are manifested resistance in the body and in the spirit. So as someone who lived with depression and anxiety my whole life and who no longer has either of those conditions or labeled as conditions, I know that it was because I was resisting my intuitive self, my guided self, my connection with source. So I coach people to understand their resistances and break free of those patterns I often make music for those people, customized recordings, in order to help them in the ways that our spirit teams are guiding us to help them. So it may be a little less specific than something for, let's say, smoking cessation, but they're specifically targeted to that person's needs. And the spirit world is very clear. The music is in the best interest of all concerned. So let's, you could even buy a recording for someone else on someone's behalf. You could play it on their behalf. So if someone around you is smoking, you could play it on their behalf. They wouldn't even have to listen to it because the music has a vibration that doesn't even need to be heard to work. So, so it's kind of my intention in the listening. If exactly. I am, and, if my intention is and, to listen for their good, is that what you're saying? It is. And the spirit world will never do anything that's not in the best interest of all concerned. So let's say you were playing it on my behalf because you wanted to help me stop smoking. If for some reason I am opposed to that and resistant to it, the, the music will never go past that. It will never negate that a person has to be willing to heal. So there's no delusion involved. Hmm? That's sort of like the debate about hypnosis too, isn't it? Can you make someone do something that's against them? And most people agree that you can't, that that there has to be some, some place of willingness for whatever is suggested. Would you liken it to that that at all? Yeah, well... Isn't it true that some people heal from a therapy and other people don't? You could have the same illness to the same degree and the same treatment, and one person will die and the other person will get well. So there's always so true. the, it's, the There's the mystery involved, no matter how we cut it, isn't there? Oh, but, but, but I hear the principle. So we're getting yes. close to the end, and I, I really would like people to hear another little clip of the music. Um, this is okay. towards the end of a piece called 
uh, transitioning souls. Um, mm. Do you want to say anything about it? I would love to. I made this music, uh, there's even cars in the background because I made it in a place that was uh, in the middle of a, a city atmosphere and I was inspired to make it and I shook through the whole thing. It was so powerful and it's not only for those souls who are leaving, um, who are dying, but for the people who love them and need help in the grieving process. It's the same as my book, anything that comes through me, even if you don't want to read it, don't want to hear it, vibrationally, it does the job. And, and I, I realize it's a very long piece and... I, we're, uh, it's a very long piece. We're just hearing the end of it, but I wanted to give people a taste. So let's listen to that. Great. Thank you. You know, that feels to me, Heidi, a little like uh, when someone is is leaving their body, actually, that there can be sort of a, a high energy moment <laughs> and then mm-hmm. some kind of peace. So that connected with I, me. Thanks so much for being with me. It's time for us to go already. But I really appreciate Oh, I'm so grateful. It today. felt like the time flew by. Goodbye, absolutely. And uh, listeners, you can find Heidi Connolly at harvardgirlgoesrogue.com. Next week, I'll have Daniel Kenner, whose book, Room for Grace, chronicles the four years between both of his parents' diagnoses with life-limiting conditions and their deaths. Daniel put other parts of his life on hold to care for them. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.